Hello, and welcome back to the Eyes Up Life podcast with your host, Ben Granis. We are here with a fresh week. I hope you've listened to the entire series, but on the off chance that you haven't, the Eyes Up Life podcast comes from Eyes Up. Eyes Up started as a 7,000-mile bike ride around the United States that I did solo to raise awareness for distracted driving. Along the way, I met hundreds of people. I've been fundraising for Text Less Live More, and I've just become so committed to this mission to end distracted driving to help people live healthier, happier lives by focusing less on the phone. Digital wellness is the word that covers all of that good stuff. And now... I'm sitting down with 21 professional athletes sponsored by Maxxis Tires and talking about their careers, distracted driving, digital wellness, all of that in the name of trying to save some lives by giving this topic some of the space that it definitely deserves. So this week we are joined by Don Maeda. He is a journalist, host of Swap Moto Live, he'll say the rest. He is such a fun guy. I really wish I had the opportunity to ride bikes with him while I was in Southern California. Unfortunately, the timing didn't work out. I had to jump to the next interview. But he's seen it all, both in the power sports world and in the cycling world. And and as a father and someone with a very strong social media presence, Don's perspective is incredibly helpful for all of us, including me. It was really cool to talk to him. I hope, 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 hope you get something out of this conversation. And if you do, maybe it'll inspire you to put the phone down while you're in the car. Maybe you'll put the phone down more generally and just enjoy living life for what it is, which is such a beautiful thing. So please sit back, relax, enjoy my conversation with Don Maeda. Uh, I'm Don Maeda, uh, 53 years old, and uh, motocross journalist. Uh, been doing it since I was in my early 20s. Uh, started at a newspaper called Cycle News. Went from there to a motocross magazine called Dirt Rider. From there, I launched my first title called MX Racer, and then launched my second title a few years after that, Transworld Motocross, which I did for 19 years. and. Uh, at the time of its demise, it was the world's largest motocross magazine. Actually, through most of its lifespan, it was. And uh, the changing face of media, magazines have become less and less popular. So uh, now we're at Swap Moto Live doing a digital motocross platform. How did you get into motocross and journalism? Motocross. Uh, come from a motocross family, right? I was uh, 14 years younger than my closest brother there's three of us and so my older brothers grew up in the 70s and my dad was like "Ah, dirt bikes they could distract my kids from the whole drug thing (laughs) so he got my brothers into dirt bikes and uh, both of them well actually my oldest brother got hurt really bad uh, at the intermediate racing level but my closest brother went on to be a good uh, professional racer in southern california west coast area and uh, I actually was 
you know, kind of a late life surprise for my parents. So by then my mom's all oh, little Donnie, he's not racing those dangerous dirt bikes. So I didn't start riding motocross until I was uh, 17. And uh, it was when my brothers convinced my parents like, hey, Don's kind of a dork. He needs something to do, you know, athletic. So got a three-wheeler first and then motorcycle and uh, yeah, head over heels in the motocross and racing and all that. And uh, in college, my dad actually was like, yo, time to be serious. I'm not paying for your dirt bikes anymore. So uh, got a job at a motorcycle shop to pay for my own dirt bike. And then I realized that if I uh, went to the races and wrote uh, these little local race reports for Cycle News, that I could get a free entry from the promoter. So I was doing that just to race for free. And about a year and a half into college, Cycle News called me and said, hey, do you want a job? And uh, they told me that opportunities like that were real far and few in between in motocross journalism. So I quit school, went to go work for Cycle News, and never looked back. So did you continue racing? And are, do you still yeah, uh, ride? Yeah, I continued to race. I mean, at a you know, very low level. <laughs> uh, but yeah, still ride probably twice a week. I race now 24 times a year or so. We have we have our own race series in Southern California, uh, the Amsoil Dirt Bike Kids Swap Motor Race Series. So it's, uh, it's all Southern California races, but uh, I line up, shoot photos, shoot video, good time. So is, is most of your work written or do you do is it a lot of visual? it's changed yeah. right like i mentioned the changing face of media like i used to, i love to write right i'm a writer but nobody reads anymore uh it's funny because i went from writing stories in magazines and newspapers to shooting photos and writing stories for websites and man even since we started salt Motor life three years ago it's changed, right? It's like websites aren't as important as social media and even YouTube, right? So most of my work now is video-based and uh, instant information on social media, instant gratification. Uh, very rarely do I put a long, you know, multi-thousand word well-written piece out anymore because nobody's going to read it anyway. Huh. How does that, like, as someone who likes to write, what is, like, how is that for you? Like, do you feel like you've adjusted to it, or do you still Yeah, I feel it? like I've adjusted. It's funny, because when, uh, when Transworld Motocross went away, uh, <laughs> one of my good friends bought me this book, and it's so cliche. It's this book called Who Moved My Cheese, or Who, yeah, Who Moved My Cheese? And it's this, like, book about, like, uh, not being complacent and the changing with the adapting times and always looking for the next thing, right? So, uh as full of as full of analogies as that book was it really kind of hit home with me and so i've tried to stay up with it. i mean a 53 year old guy like trying to like do tiktok no way right like my daughters i'm like hey do i need to start a tiktok for swap motor live and they're all dad no <laughs> so i mean instagram youtube that's as much as we go with the social media thing but uh uh i mean even facebook is dying right like it's kind of the old person's nerdy outlet now so we have a facebook account but it's uh you know on instagram we have uh i'd say over half a million followers uh so that's where we rely on and uh, our youtube is growing 
And uh, yeah, so it's mostly video. Video is actually, because I don't write as much anymore, I feel like I'm cheesing out on my career because writing is the thing that you put thought into and you take time and everything. And like putting a video together is just like pretty easy. So uh, try to be creative with it. Um, not just a wham bam video, you know, although sometimes those do the best, like the raw, unedited action, just sound, no music, no slow-mo. Those are real popular, but uh, yeah, we do all kinds of different videos on our website. So half a million people, how, like you've grown that in just three years? Yeah. How, like, how did that happen? Uh, I think the, <laughs> the following we had at Transworld, uh, I think at Transworld we had like 700,000. Um, we actually have uh, two Instagram accounts, uh, one that we built organically uh, is probably about 120 now. And uh, <clears throat> it's funny, when we started Swapmoto Live, some of our advertisers, well, all of our advertisers that came with me were like, we know your reputation, you and your team do good work, we're going to be on board from the start. Um, we had a couple that were like, oh, you have no reach, you know, how are you going to grow? So what I did was I, I bought a, a Instagram account that had a couple hundred thousand. And uh, that was just for those skeptical advertisers, you know, to say, hey, look, we've got this. So I bought one from another media outlet and uh, we've grown it to 400,000 now. So, I mean, between that, the organic one and then my personal one, yeah, we've got over 600,000. Yeah. Talk to me about what, what Swap, like where the name comes from, Swap Moto Live, because I was doing a little <laughs> digging on your website, and but I, I would love to hear from you <laughs> what it is. So Swap is my nickname, but not really. I, I'm dating myself now, okay? But when the internet first started, okay, uh, dial up, AOL, my older brother calls me and goes, Donnie, do you have internet? I go, yeah. I do, and he goes, go to this thing called motocross.com, this website. I go, all right. He goes, they have this thing called a chat room. He goes, it's the best. I go, yeah, why? He goes, I spend hours on it every night just laughing. I go, why? And he goes, just go on, just go on. So I go to motocross.com, and I click chat. I'm like, what is this? And he goes, it's just this chat room. And it's just these idiots in there talking about dirt bikes. And they don't know what they're talking about. And it's funny because, you, you know, you can just riddle them and, you know, make fun of them and, you know, or tell them things. I was like, okay. He goes, sign up, sign up. So I'm signing up. And I go, username with Don. And he goes, no, 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 no. Don't use your real name. And I'm all, why not? And he goes, because you don't want anyone to know who you really are. And I go, well, what's your name? And he's all, Guppy. <laughs> right? So my brother is... Uh, uh, highly respected suspension technician in, in motocross. Uh, he worked for KYB, which is one of the suspension companies, uh, the manufacturers. And uh, anyway, he does this thing called Enzo Racing, which is a aftermarket hop-up shop, uh, super highly regarded. So he didn't want to, you know, be Enzo Racing or Ross, you know, his real name. So he's Guppy. So I signed up, and I'm all, what should I do? And he's all, swap. You know, because that's how you, swap is a, it's a slang for something that happens while you're riding. Like, yeah, you ride bicycles, right? Yeah. So like, you never heard swap out? Like, 
no. in the back end, go to side to oh, like side a, and control uh, it. Fish that's called a swap. Of? Yeah. Okay. Fishtail. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's just what it was. Swap was my handle in the chat room, right? And just kind of stuck. And uh, when I started my first magazine, MX Racer, it was the name of my editorial column. And uh, Swap Moto came about because when we started uh, our website for Trans World Motocross back in the day, my handle was Swap. <laughs> I forgot the password. <laughs> and I couldn't retrieve it, so I just created one and I was like, uh, Swap Moto. So, yeah, so Swap Moto is my author title on Trans World Motocross. And yeah. Cool. That's yeah, where the name sweet. comes from. <laughs> that was not what I uh, imagined it to be, but that's, that's really cool. And I'm glad to know now what swap is on a bike. Yeah, swap is a, a swap is something that uh, you don't want to do. Right, right, right. right. It's like endo, right? Endo when you're going over yeah, the bar. Right, right, right. You don't want to swap. Right. Cool. Well, thank you. Um, so you touched on social media. And as someone who's been in the media world for a long time, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on how things are moving in the world really with social media mm. with you know, instagram like the the popular ones in particular and the ones that you have experience with yeah um both for yourself and for for young people yeah it's kind of crazy right because when i started my journalism career in 1991 like i'd go to the races and i'd take a reporter's notebook you know a notepad that's tall and skinny and a pen Right, and I would just keep track of what happened at the race, and I had a photographer there. And then through the years, technology, my job changed. So then I found myself going to the races, and I have to shoot photos, I have to shoot video, I have to still write a race report, I have to Twitter, like live updates from the race, I have to post on Instagram, like live things I see in the pits, and. It's like technology is supposed to make your life easier, right? It made my job far more complex. But uh, the social media thing, it's kind of funny because the, the chat rooms, right, evolved into message boards on the internet. And message boards are like the bane of, of our sports existence, right? It's got all these keyboard warriors, just backyard barbecue experts, right? Like, oh yeah, trying to say what they know and this and that and criticizing riders and products and this and that and it's like i used to go on the message boards in motocross because it cracked me up but then it started to irritate me right because these people that have like you know five thousand posting points or whatever they think they're like experts right so they think that they're experts in motocross journalism almost so that was kind of irritating so i quit going to the message boards and uh when our bosses at Transworld want us to create a message board, I'm all, no, message boards are ignorant. You know, they're just full of idiots. Um, but anyway, this whole social media thing, right? Uh, at Transworld, we had a gigantic Facebook page because my online editor had just graduated college and it was a college thing still then, so he started one for us. And uh, I think we had like uh, 1.2 million followers on our Transworld Motocross Facebook, which was like crazy. It was a gravy train for website traffic, right? Because before Facebook closed down the gravy chain and wanted you to pay for everything, you could post a story on your website 
and go to Facebook and write, check out this story we wrote about the race. And it'd just be like this flood of traffic. Um, so it was a great resource back then. So I was a big fan of Facebook because it was a traffic driver for us. Um, then they clamped down and then all of a sudden our website traffic dried up and our bosses are going, what happened? I'm like, well, the Facebook gravy train has left the station. That's why. And uh, then Instagram became a resource. You know, you could like put a short version of your video up that the longer videos here and there's the link in bio. That's that's almost even got clipped down right now. Right. But uh, but yeah, it's funny to see the way social media has uh, become part of everyone's day to day life. Right. And I've got two daughters uh, and when they're in high school, I saw how social media played a role in my youngest daughter's life, popularity especially, right? And uh, I was kind of like, I'm kind of like the dad. My parenting style is a little different because of the way I grew up. Like I grew up really overweight and bullied and my mom and dad would never buy me the cool clothes and stuff. So as a parent, I'm always like, oh, I gotta make sure my kids have everything to make them happy or cool or whatever and uh, so I was always super involved with my daughters and uh, kind of a funny story is my youngest daughter was watching this TV show once called X Factor I think and there was this band of guys on and just coincidentally I, I knew them through oh a motocross contact right and she's like dad these guys they're so hot <laughs> I'm like I know that guy and she's all no way so well what's what's dad want to do oh he's going to foster this friendship with these guys right and my daughter becomes like friends with them and she gets this popularity on social media because of them right and so uh, there's a point where she thought she wanted to be like a journalist like me and so she would do these interview videos with them or like go to their shows and do videos and stuff. And I would help her and everything, but she had access to these guys because of my friendship with them, right? But I saw her go through this weird stage in her life where it was very important to her, right? And so she got like, I think at one point she had 15,000 followers and for a high school kid, that's pretty good, right? And uh, it's funny because now, both of my daughters are barely on social media. I mean, they look, they're kind of creepers. They look at people's stuff, but they're always like, they never like anything and they rarely post. Um, but when I joke with my daughter about this time with this band, she's like, don't talk about that, dad. It's embarrassing, right? <laughs> so, I mean, she escaped the whole social media popularity bubble and she realized that was below her. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stoked that both my daughters are very grounded. They're not all caught up in the likes and all that stuff. Um, my wife is very anti-social media. Like she, uh, I created a Facebook page for her once just so she could be in on it. Cause like her friends are, you know, they talk about stuff or like her coworkers even, they're like, they'll come up to her and say, oh man, yeah, I saw Don did that big jump on his bicycle. He's crazy. And she's like, what, how do you know? Oh, his Instagram, you know? So she just thinks it's like ridiculous that all these people know everything. She's pretty private, right? Um, but social media is part of my career, right? So I have to 
be active and involved and post and all that stuff and like it's actually it's actually been a problem at times for me and my family because like you know <laughs> we'll be eating dinner and i'm on my phone and like oh god you're always on your phone I'm like well it's it's kind of my job it's it's a it's an important uh aspect of swap mode alive you know so uh I have to stay in touch and I have to post, you know, we have to post several times per day and this and that. And, and actually as journalists, I mean, we get several like news breaks, the stories break on Instagram. Right. And that writer announces that he's missing the rest of the season. Cause he's got a injury that he's been keeping secret or something, you know? So it's, it's kind of uh, imperative to stay in touch, but it's a pain in the ass, you know, as a, middle-aged guy I don't want to be on my phone and checking all the stuff and this and that but uh, it's a tool it's a tool that is uh, required in my line of work thankfully it's not a tool that's that important to my kids you know uh, but I do see people that are completely too caught up in it you know you can't do anything without seeing somebody filming you with their phone or you know driving checking Instagram. I don't know. Yeah. Well, so before we get to the driving piece of this, what, what would you say to younger people? I mean, well, actually first I'm wondering like why, how did your daughters kind of get out of the bubble of social media addiction? I don't know. Like my oldest daughter, she had a thing called a Tumblr. It was mm -hmm. like a vlog or something. And she was super into that. And, uh, I don't know. I, I think she just grew up, you know, and uh, yeah, she's on Instagram. She looks, follows people, but it's funny because my, my kids now use it for things more like food ideas or recipes or craft ideas or something. I, they're not so much like, check me out, look what I'm doing, right? I don't know what broke them free of it. Um, I know that my, my youngest daughter was super into it for a while and uh, was very concerned about how many followers she had and so on and so forth. But yeah, she just snapped out of it one day um, I think it's, uh, people get caught up too much in it, right? Like it's the, the bragging and the look what I'm doing and look how cool I am. And it's not real. You know what I mean? <laughs> All the filters and everything now, like, you know, people don't even look like what they look like on Instagram half the time. Right. Yeah. And so, so what are your thoughts on the <clears throat> kind of merging of like the, the personal side of social media with the business because you use it for promoting your work yeah. and business. And it seems like, well, I, I, I know that it's easy to get swept up in whatever's being shown to you when you're like, uh, when you're using the app for work. Mm -hmm. So like, what, what are your thoughts on the, the blending of the two worlds and the increasing importance of having a social media presence to be relevant in any industry? Yeah. I mean, that's just the way the world's changing, right? I mean, I don't agree with a lot of the whole woke society and all that now, you know, like, but that's just where we are right now. Um, you know, when, when I first uh, got an Instagram account, you know, I was very personal with it. I, I pictures of my family, pictures of my kids. I posted almost every day before, you know? Like, it's kind of funny to think now that like, I used to post every day, a couple times per day. Like, like when I, uh, 
I think it's about seven or eight years now, I've been like, like cycling has changed my life, okay? So I got super into cycling and I would post pictures of my rides every single day, like every day, like a picture of, of my bike on top of a mountain or something like, I don't know why I thought it was so important to show that, dude, look, I'm out riding my bike or whatever, right? Like, like now I post maybe once a week or sometimes more depending on what's up there. But my Instagram, if you like scroll down it, like lately it's all bicycles and motorcycles. Like I don't post my family anymore just because that's personal, right? Like I post my dog and stuff or like mostly I'm posting stuff to be funny or, or make fun of my friends, you know, it's like, it's like people that know me know that like I'm kind of shy and quiet. I'm not real, real braggadocious, but like if I'm around people I know and I'm friends with them, like I, all I do is give people crap. You know, it's like if you're my friend, I'm loud and funny and, and everything. But if I don't know you, I'm just kind of quiet. But uh, my Instagram is kind of a reflection of my the way I'm with my friends, I guess, you know, but uh it's kind of crazy, you know, like people feel like they know you, right? Because of your social media. And actually in my position right now, Swap Model Live, you know, like I put a lot of myself out there and uh, there's people that have like read stuff I've written since the nineties and followed me through this whole journey of career I've had. And that's amazing, right? It's like, I'm so blessed and lucky to have that. But then sometimes I'll meet people and they're like talking to me like they know me and it's kind of like, whoa, have I met this guy? Or, you know, like I've had some concussions. Did I forget this guy? But it's it's because of the whole social media thing, you know? And our obviously our, our media platform. But uh, it's funny because you interviewed Alex Ray already, right? Yeah. So... Uh, two or three years ago, I was with Alex and I was videoing something and he saw, we were talking about the changing face of media, right? And I said something about YouTube monetization and he's like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> you can monetize YouTube? And I'm all, yeah. And he goes, so wait, you can make money off? I go, yeah, when you see a video on YouTube with has an ad in it, you get paid for that ad. And he's like, whoa, really? And he goes, so like, so like this guy that does this vlog, he makes money and I go on it and there's like some really popular motocross vloggers, right? And so I go, oh yeah, dude, he probably does really well. He goes, well, how much do you guys make off YouTube? And I go, like six, seven grand a month. He goes, how much do you think this guy makes? And there's a guy that, that's in our sport. Uh, he's actually one of our test riders, but uh, Connor Erickson, he has this channel called Buttery Films and he's like massive. And I go, dude, he makes at least 10 grand a month. He's like, whoa, what? I'm starting to vlog. And so he made a couple of vlogs and they're like terrible at first, right? Cause he's not comfortable in front of the camera. And so one day I like, just to kind of mess with him and be, make fun of him, I made a vlog and I call it Life on Two Wheels. And I just filmed what I did every single day, right? But it was just to tease Alex. And I put it out and it got a lot of traffic and Bell Helmets, my buddy at Bell Helmets is like, yo, we want that. Well, what? We want to sponsor your vlog. I'm like, oh no, no, no. I just made that as a joke. 
Oh no, we want it. So Bell Helmets has sponsored my vlog for 160 episodes now. And it's the bane of my existence, right? Because I have to do it every week. And there's this pressure on me to do something fun every day, right? Because I can't vlog myself typing or editing a video. I'd have to go talk to somebody or I have to go ride somewhere or race or do something. But a lot of times it's good. Like during the season when I go to races, I just take my little GoPro with me everywhere and talk to people and, and it's great. But like off season right now, and it rained three days this week. <laughs> Dude, what do I have to do with my vlog this week, right? So right. I did trail work yesterday and, and rode today and uh, went to Honda this afternoon and dropped off a bike, but I talked to people and interviewed people. And... Well, that brings up an interesting point because, I mean, most people aren't sponsored to show their life, but social media, like the whole pressure, it's sort of like a pressure cooker and what you post it, there's a correlation between how exciting it is and how much traffic it gets. Mm -hmm. So like it kind of, it's, I feel like a lot of people probably feel pressure to do things. <laughs> I mean, I certainly feel guilty of this on Strava at least yeah. to like do cooler or longer rides or mm -hmm. runs because it gets more interest on yeah. the app. And I think that's probably true for a lot of the social media apps as well. I mean, what do you think about that? It's totally true. Like, the whole vlog thing, right? Like, there's this thing right now. People just think all I do is eat shit. Or should I not say shit? No, it's... Uh, it's people funny. always just think all I'm doing is eating crap all the time, right? But you know what? If I crash and put it in my vlog and, like, put it on the thumbnail or something, like, people are going to watch it. So I'm not crashing on purpose. But it's like, if I crash, I put it in there. Right. And so people just see these crashes and like, oh, dude, Don sucks. All he does is <laughs> crash, right? But it's funny, like the whole clickbait thing or the whole thumbnail thing. Like, it's funny. I've learned things about like YouTube thumbnails, right? You got to put words in it. You got to title your thing. I can't believe this or the biggest this or you won't believe this. It's so sensationalized, you know? And it's like, it's a shame that that's the way you have to get traffic and thus earn money, right? But uh, like last week, for instance, uh, there's this trail that I like in LA County and there's a bunch of jumps on it. And it's like, I, I love jumping. Like since I've learned how to jump a bicycle, it's like my favorite thing to do. But there was this jump over a canyon and you just had to go as fast as you can to jump over this canyon. And it was like, took no skill. Like there's like chicks with backpacks doing it in videos and stuff, right? <laughs> but it's like, you have to go like 25 miles an hour to hit this evil Knievel ramp and jump over this canyon. It's probably only like 25 feet, but it's this big gorge, right? So when that got built, I was like, I have to go there and hit that. Well, one, because I wanted to, right? But I'm like, dude, if I hit that, It'll be good for the vlog. <laughs> so I do it, and I do all the jumps at this trail, but my buddy that lives there rides there all the time. He goes, dude, you won't believe this jump these guys built. And it's this gap jump. It's a double jump, and you have to roll in from this hill. And he did it, but he did it, like, without seeing anyone else do it. And he did it, and he goes, dude, I just hit it as fast as I possibly could. And I'm like, huh. 
was it hard? And he goes, no, it's just scary. And so he sends me a video of him doing it. And I'm all, I got to go do that jump. That was so cool. <laughs> Mostly because I want to do it. It's cool, right? And so I go there to do it. And I see it in person. I'm all, oh, man, it's way bigger in person than it looked on video. And my friend's like, dude, no pressure. You don't have to do it. I'm all, no, I have to do it. I have to do it. And he goes, why? Go, It'll be cool in my vlogs. <laughs> so anyway, I go up and I do it. And it's probably the dumbest thing I've ever done because it's this gigantic jump. And it was no problem. And it was easy, but it was scary. And like if I had gone too far left or come up short, I would have been hurt for sure, right? But I mean, part of it's, I'd say most of it is me, you know, I want to do it because I'm kind of a knucklehead, you know, like I'm like, I have this theory right now that like, oh, I've had this great life, I've had this great career, my kids are grown, I'm going to go out of ball of flames, <laughs> you know, like, like I see, like this morning at the optometrist, this old lady was walking in with a walker with tennis balls in the back, I'm all, that is not me, I'm not living that long, you know, so like, so I mean, part of it was because I just, I like to just scare myself, but there was a percentage in there like, oh, I want to do this because I want to get the footage and have it in my video, you know? Well, that's such an interesting point going out in a ball of flames because it's like the, the, the balance between doing stuff for other people's like approval and getting traction and then doing things because you love them, you know? Yeah. And that's like, that was like a perfect example of, of that. It, it, it's... It's both in there, right? But it's mostly for myself. Like, right. like I said, like, I've had this amazing life that's turned out better than I could have ever imagined when I was, okay, because when I was like 23, right before I got hired by Cycle News, like I was on academic probation, right? Because I figured out in college that they don't take really role and I could go ride my dirt bike instead of going to class, you know? So I was getting bad grades and and I was on academic probation and got kicked out of university to go to junior college to get my GPA back up to get back in. And I got this incredible opportunity to work for this newspaper and I did. So it's like I went from being a screw up to having this career that's taken me around the world and all over the United States and allowed me to do all this cool stuff. So I'm like, wow, okay. I raised a family and have a house and, you know, a really comfortable life off of this lucky turn of events, you know. Just because I read a lot of books when I was little, I know how to write. I didn't learn how to write in school. And uh, my passion for motocross allowed me to be creative and do this stuff. So I'm like, wow, I've done it all. I've done everything I've ever wanted to do. So... Well, I, I really fun. appreciate your reflection on that. I want to get to the driving side of things. Before mm. we do that, what would you say as like advice to a young person, you know, having made your career and gotten to this point um, as, you know, for someone who's uh, trying to pursue a dream that seems yeah. maybe out of reach, any advice or guidance? You know, it's funny because I've got two daughters, right? Right. Uh, my youngest is very stressed out. She's been out of college two years now, and she's working in a doctor's office running his books and all this. But she's like, I, I, 
I haven't found my career. I don't know what to do. I'm like, look, it just, it'll just happen. You know, something, you'll find something you love. And then my oldest daughter, right, she finished college and she was working this really nice job. And she's like, I hate this job. I'm not getting trapped by the money. I want to love my career. I'm all, honey, everybody doesn't love their career, you know? Like, work is, a career is work and means to earn money. And and she's like, well, you're a bad example of that. And I'm like, yeah, well, I've, I got lucky, right? Like, not everybody loves their job. And not everybody works within their passion. I'm very fortunate. Um, I guess the only advice I could say is, like, just follow what you love. Try hard. Be the best at whatever you're doing you know try to be the best at it right like if your work ethic will take you a long ways because people see a work ethic and people will admire work ethic and give you a chance you know say you're not completely knowledgeable in this field that you want to work in but if they know you're a hard worker and they see that in you maybe they'll give you a shot i mean a lot of youth now isn't a hard they don't have that work ethic you know, COVID changed a lot of that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up, give up on your passions. And uh, if you're lucky, it'll work out. Right. Yeah, I think that all that's uh, true. Um, t- talk to me about your relationship to distractions in the car and your experience with distracted driving. Hmm. I'm as guilty as anyone of uh, talking on the phone or like, you know, it's funny because like cell phones early on, they weren't, it it wasn't illegal to talk on the phone, right? And then when it became like illegal and you had to have a headset or whatever, I was like, you know, but like distractions can come from anything. Like how many times have you seen someone pulling out of in and out with a burger in their hand and a wrapper covering half their face, right? Like, uh, I'm very fortunate that, well, I got in several fender benders when I was younger, but it was mostly because I was a numbskull, like thinking I knew more about traction and braking and everything than than, uh, I really did, just because I was a dirt biker, right? But uh, as an adult, I've been very fortunate have never knock on wood been in some crazy major accident um, my wife got sideswiped pretty hard by a drunk driver when she was at a stop sign and she's still feeling the effects of that but uh as far as being distracted yeah I, i'm as guilty as anyone i was on my cell phone a lot in the beginning and you know the traffic tickets the the camera tickets that come out i got a ticket one time for running a red light at a traffic camera uh signal and i was like i didn't run no red light because i'm a pretty conservative driver and so i went online and it was like click here to see video evidence of your you know violation right and i clicked on it and it's just i'm turning into the shopping center by my house and i'm talking on the phone laughing right and i'm all holy shit i didn't realize i ran a little light. it wasn't a red it was a yellow right but typically, I'm the conservative guy that slams on his brake with a yellow. And I'm like, dude, that's gnarly. Like, they have a picture of me talking on my phone, laughing, running a red light. And 
that's when I was kind of like, man, that's that's crazy, right? So then I got the stereo that had the hookup for Bluetooth and all that. So mm -hmm. Bluetooth is primarily the way I, I text and talk while I'm driving, you know, because you can say, hey, Siri, send a text. Um, but even that sometimes is distracting, right? So for, uh, I forgot, one of the newer iPhones came out and uh, there's that do not disturb while you're driving. And uh, it's funny because there's a rider in our sport, Malcolm Stewart, and he's like a high up guy, but he's always, he'll call me, <laughs> he'll get that text back. I'm driving right now, uh, I'll call you back. Or it's, it responds to text even, right? But like, I'm, I'm driving right now. But he never reads it properly and he thinks it, it's like a bicycling thing. And so he always texts back, man, you're always on that stupid mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he gets pissed when he gets that message, but so you use that feature still. Yeah, I've yeah. got I've got that set on my phone. Although my newest uh, vehicle, my van, has a really cool setup where it'll tell me I have a message. Do you want it read? And I'll say yeah, and it'll read it to me like that. So I don't actually have it on now, but before I had that, where it would have required me to grab my phone, I had that turned on. Yeah. So would you say that using that feature or having the new setup where it can talk to you is is an improvement for distraction? I think the the do not disturb feature was really good. I think a lot of people don't have the self-control or discipline to use it. Um, yeah, I don't know. We just got a Tesla, right? Also, my wife got a Tesla and it has that self-driving thing. I don't trust that though. But I mean, think about like the people that have it, they're probably just like nah, 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 on their phones the whole time. I don't know, but I, you know, I'm primarily a mountain biker, but I do have a road bike and I, I had a pretty big road bike obsession for a couple of years and yeah, you have to be on your toes. Like you have to look at every car as if it's someone texting, right? And watch. And uh, I've had a, I've had a road rage encounter, and I've had a, a person not paying close attention encounter that just pulled out in front of me. And I don't think they pulled out to be to be a dick, right? I think they pulled out because they weren't paying attention, you know pull out right in front of my buddy and I and we you know locking up your brakes and skidding on a road bike is horrifying right yeah but uh yeah sh this woman pulled out in front of us and we caught her at the next stoplight did you know that if you hit a Prius mirror straight down it'll pop right off <laughs> <laughs> so you did that yeah oh my gosh what'd they do she just looked at me and I was like pay attention did her mirrors on the ground? Well, I was hanging by that cord, right? <laughs> the guy I was riding was my attorney, and he's like, if you had told me you were going to do that beforehand, I would advise you not to. <laughs> uh, oh, man. So what would you say to people who, because you're a cyclist, um, and you have you know, a pretty good awareness of the consequences of distraction while mm -hmm. driving. What would you say to people who are pretty adamant that they can multitask, that they're good drivers, even if they're texting while driving and are just really guilty of being on their phones or just, you know, doing things like eating a burger 
while mm -hmm. they're driving that can totally mess up their concentration? What would you say to them to try to get through to them and what the consequences could be? I mean, they call it an accident because it's an accident, right? It's not on purpose. An accident can happen at any second, any moment to anyone, no matter how great they are at multitasking or whatever, right? But like, just think of it this way, like in one split second of uh, not paying attention, you can change someone's life forever and it's gonna change your life forever as well, right? Like, I, I just can't even imagine hitting someone in my car. Like I have a friend who got hit on his car and broke his uh, pelvis and his uh, femur and his humerus, right? He's thrashed. He's messed up for the rest of his life, even though he got surgery and everything on it. But he's gonna have like these crazy aches and pains and arthritis and like not to mention PTSD from getting hit by a car, right? I'm hoping that guy that hit him feels just as bad and is like scared straight now, right? Because uh, the guy was texting when he hit him. Uh, but yeah, it's like, is that message really that important? That to take the chance of like killing someone or ruining your own life? I no. don't think so, yeah. No. Um, yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned the accident thing because it's really not an accident because you're consciously making, yeah. you're making the decision to not focus on the number one task at hand. Yeah. So I think the, it, both the language associated with crashes involving distracted drivers or just crashes that could have been avoided generally and consequences for the drivers themselves are lacking. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it seems like most of the, because it's so hard to prove that you were distracted while you're driving. Um, like, and that's like, that's a bigger question of like, how do you enforce hands-free laws? Because most states in the country have laws. You can't have your phone in your hand or, mm -hmm. you, you know, use your phone in any way. Um, but like, how do you enforce it? Cause technically that applies to red lights and like 90% of people are using their phones at a red light. Yeah. But that's and still... you know what also too, is like, where's the, where do you draw a line on that? Like, navigation on phones now is so good right like the ways out like you i have my phone on a magnet on my dashboard and i use ways it's better than the factory gps that's in my car so well yeah ways pops up and <laughs> it says object on road and half mile well that's awesome right that it tells you that warns you about that but then you're like thinking, well, how does it know this object in a road? It's because someone almost hit the object and went object. And the, the, to write object, you have to write hazard. They have to check on road, off road, side of road or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the app is amazing for navigation because it's real time and it has real time delays and everything, but it's encouraging you to use your phone. So it's kind of a, double-edged sword like it's kind of shitty right. at the same time yeah unless everyone who's reporting it's the passenger in the yeah. car yeah yeah yeah, yeah. A, yeah i always wondered was... that because like there it's so good at like there's so many users of it that yeah. basically every hazard or police or whatever yeah is reported but that means that there's so many people that are y using their phone yeah. while they're driving because mm -hmm. there's no way that everyone's a passenger in the car yeah yeah. yeah. I don't have a passenger in my car very often, you know? Right, right. Like if I, Most people yeah, don't. 100% of the time I'm driving, maybe 10% I have my wife or kids in the car. Right. Yeah, so um, how about for young people? Just kind of bring it back. Like, uh, 
you talked about how to kind of get through to people. What what do you think about just the the amount of time that the younger population is spending on phones, both inside and out of the car? Um, and what what do you think is going to be a step forward to bringing back a healthier balance to all of our lives with phone use? God. That it's crazy that the way the change in the world has been, that society's different now. Like, it's funny because when, when we still use Twitter quite a bit, uh, like since I've converted my personal Twitter to the Swap Moto Live Twitter, but when we were at Transworld, uh, I got really irritated at a family gathering because uh, my brother-in-law and his wife had these young kids and they're at dinner and they're just on their iPad, right? And the kids don't know how to interact with uncles and aunts and cousins because they're just, right? And so I was just like super irritated. And so I tweeted, kids need a mom and dad, not an iPad, right? And I really feel that way. Like I, I just, like one of my partners at Swap Motor Live has a kid. His boy's probably like four or five months old now. I'm all, you don't you dare become an iPad dad, right? But it's like so easy and so tempting because it's a distraction that children love, right? It's a babysitter. But dude, like I'm like, I feel so fortunate that my wife shares a lot of the same values as me, but like I, I worked my ass off at Transworld and I let my wife stay home for 18 years with the kids because I wanted them to be raised by their mother, not a babysitter or an iPad, right? And so my kids didn't get cell phones till they were like 15. And even at that point, like they weren't smartphones, right? They were just cell phones. But uh, it's disappointing to see the way people are being raised now. Like it's such a, a tool, such a, large part of their life uh yeah like how many times do you go to a restaurant right and you see a family mom dad and the two kids are all on their phones so like i said it's caught my phone my phone has caused some trouble at home for me because i'll be on it sometimes and my kids will just get so mad at me put that away well, it's great that it's coming from them. You yeah, know? it's good. <laughs> but it's it is good. It's good. I'm, I'm lucky, you know. Um, I mean, there's times when I'm just as bad as anyone. Like, oh, man. Because, like, you know, you know, your Instagram feed gets populated with, like, things that you like or whatever. It's like, I have all this mountain bike stuff. Right. It's like, oh, dude, look at this jump this guy did. You know, so, so I get into it, too. But, <clears throat> you know, my kids are both moved out now. And I'm lucky enough that I like to call him, hey, you want dinner with dad tonight, you know? So I'll, on those nights, I'll leave my phone in the car to make sure all my attention is on them. And I'm not tempted to look at my phone or answer a text or something, you know? And I think they notice when I do that because I've been criticized for being on my phone while I'm with them too, you know? Yeah, But uh, I like that. But I just wonder seriously about how families are going to interact, the dynamics and everything, you know? like. Like there, there's this kid, there's this kid in mountain biking in Southern California. He's only like nine or something. And he does these big jumps. And I've 
note of him and everything, right? And so finally one day I just happened to bump into he and his dad on the trail. And so I rode with them and so impressed with this kid beforehand. But after meeting him and seeing the interaction between him and his dad, the lack of respect and the shit talking that goes back and forth, <laughs> that's totally a like social media relationship with his father and son. Like a real world example. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was just like, ah, oh. so I, like don't follow the kid anymore, and like, huh? Like it's just, it was disappointing. You know? Do you think it is when you say it was a social media relationship? Do you mean like it was like a lot of relationships on social media, or it was no, like their of whole media? their whole dynamic, at least on the mountain bike ride, revolved around the kid doing something sweet for Instagram, and. But the kid would just talk shit to the dad. Like, it was really disappointing. Like, I'm big on respect between kids and their parents and stuff, you know? And, and yeah, he was, the kid was just bagging on his dad because his dad couldn't do the jumps, you know? I was like, man. You know, obviously the dad started the Instagram account when the kid was little for him, but the kid took it over, and I don't know. It's just, it made, made me uncomfortable. Yeah, like, how do we get to a, a place where, like, that's not even an option for a relationship, you know? Like, just make it so it's not so important mm -hmm. in everyone's life. Yeah, I just think that's the way, way the world is now, you know? People have different values and... Yeah. And, uh, I just... I do think eventually... People, like the, there's enough of people like you and people who appreciate val like strong values and uh, you know not super invested in social media in a toxic way that I think more and more people will get to that point and hopefully swing the pendulum in the other direction. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. You know, don't get me wrong. I think that there's aside from the business aspect, right? I think there's value in social media, right? Because like. Like I've told you, I think Facebook is lame, right? And so I've actually gone to kill my personal Facebook several times. Have you ever done that? No. Okay, so you go to turn it off, and it goes, are you sure? Yes. And it goes, Phew. and it goes to the most, the people you interact with the most. And for instance, me, it's my closest brother, Ross. So are you sure? Ross will miss you. Oh, no. Yeah, it says that. Ross will miss you. John will miss you. It shows you all these people. And I'm like, damn it. And, like, to be honest, the only things I post on Facebook are, like, like on my, on my Facebook, right, I don't have any people I don't know. Like, I don't let in any motocross fans or anything or people that know me from Salt Metal Live or even industry people I'm friends with. No. If I don't hang out with you or you're not family on a day-to-day -day regular basis, like I only have, I think, I think I have like a hundred friends maybe, right? Whereas on my Instagram, I've got like, I don't know, 50 something thousand followers, right? But I have a hundred friends because I post family stuff there, right? Like, oh, hey, today, this weekend, Eileen, my wife and I went to this cool restaurant. It was so good, look what we ate. And I think in that aspect, social media is valuable because my cousins that I don't see all the time, they know what I'm up to. My wife's cousins in New Jersey, they know what we're doing. They know how we're healthy and we're having fun or, you know, I'll post family vacation photos on that. 
but that's the only reason I keep that thing alive is for that. And then also the easiest way to get a hold of my oldest brother is Facebook Messenger. <laughs> I could text him and he don't write back. I call him, he don't answer. But but Facebook I'm, Messenger. Facebook Messenger, bing, and he writes right back. But, that's wild. But the whole, are you sure this guy will miss you? That's what gets me every that's time. That's crazy. Wow. Um, before we wrap up, Don, I, I want to take a minute to take a look at our screen times together. Do you ever do that? It's horrible, yeah. Well, let's do it together. We'll be I don't here. actually know how to check it. I just get that message. Oh, sometimes. the report. So it's uh. So it's in your settings, settings, and then it's right under focus. Uh -huh. Screen time. What do you see? Daily average. Yeah. Nine hours. Wow, I'm at just over six hours. You know what though? Um, there's a game. Does that count? Screen time, a game? Yeah. Okay, there's a game I started playing on our family vacation a couple months ago because my daughter plays it. What is it? I'm not even going to tell you. It's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? That's fine. Pokemon Go. Oh, yeah. Okay. People but, still play that? Yeah. Okay, so we're in Italy, right? And my daughter's like, doing something. Like, what are you doing on your phone? And she's like, oh, Dad, there's this Pokemon you can only get in Europe. And I'm trying to catch it. I'm like, All right, whatever. And then like one night she's like, hey, calls me in my hotel room. Will you go with me down the street? There's one there. I'm all, what? And so I go with her because she doesn't want to go alone, right? And she doesn't catch it. She's all bitter. <laughs> but she's been playing since it started, right? Like, yeah. like years and years and years. So uh, I'm telling my wife about it. We're in bed and I'm laughing. I'm all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start it just on chance if I catch it because I went for walks every morning and so I did and I had to like watch a YouTube video on how to play the game and that night at dinner I'm all hey I, I started Pokemon Go and she's laughing and I go you want to see what I got and I got the one she wanted no way. <laughs> just by chance right uh, yeah so then we had to become friends or something so I could give Betrayed it to her or something and so but anyway it's been this point of uh this has been connection point with us, you know, like I'm close with my daughters, but it's like, if I play it, it gives us something to talk about. Right. And it's funny, we went to dinner the other night and we had this great dinner conversation for like over an hour and then we're leaving and she goes, have you been playing? And I go, well, yeah, I caught this and this. And she's <laughs> like, oh, let's go sit in the car and play. And we sat in the car and played for an hour together. Oh my so gosh. it's a... So it's skewing the, your time. It's skewing my time, I think. Okay. Oh, well, let's, let's take a look just briefly at what your activity is. I just want to see what your reaction is to the number. Okay. So if you see, go to all, see activity? all activity? Yeah. I just want to see what your most used app is. Pokemon Go. Oh, it is. Okay. Two hours. Two hours. All right. How about your... What's the second most? Instagram. One hour, 12 minutes. Four. Is that your daily average? Or the total uh, for the week? Most used, I think. Most used. Okay, so that's not that, that's not that much. First used after pickup, messages. Right. Instagram, Strava, Pokemon Go. Right. Are you surprised by those numbers? Or not really? I'm not surprised by the amount of time because it's this Pokemon thing is, is a new thing, right? Right. And it's, it's, 
kind of fun because like Pokemon's a Japanese thing, you know that, right? right? And so I'm Japanese American, so like my kids and I, my kids were into Pokemon before it was a thing in the U.S. Huh. Because we were in Japan, right. and oh look at this, and then you know, so it's been a new thing for me. So that's why I've been playing it so much. And it's funny because I travel more. I guess you have to move around to get. And so I travel a lot for my job. So I go places that she's not. And so I catch all this stuff that she can't catch. And it's hilarious to me that I'm not better at it than her. But I mean, I have more opportunities for things. Which makes you better at it because the more you move around, right? But Uh, yeah, the Instagram thing, I'm surprised it's this low. Hour and 12 minutes. It might just be a low low for this week because that's yeah. I think that's just your weekly numbers. Messages is third, ways is fourth. Right, huh? So there's a there's a study that came out I think last year that says that the average American will spend about five years of their life on social media over the course of their life, mm-hmm. um, and that was surprising to me. Um, that's a lot of time and it, but it, it, it amounts to only about an hour and 40 minutes a day on, mm-hmm. you know, across the various social media apps. And I'm just curious about your thoughts on that, whether that's like a lot or not really. Seems like a lot, right? Like seems like a waste of your life, but think about how much, uh, your day to day, you're either alone or in line waiting for something. Like, to me, being on your phone while you're in line or waiting for something, that's fine. It helps pass the time, right? Like, I know that. I know that when my kids were little and we went to Disneyland and Magic Mountain, all this nonsense all the time, I wish my phone was like that back then. You know, it would have passed the time. But instead, you're just sitting there right. <laughs> twiddling your thumbs playing I Spy, right? But, uh, I don't know. Like for me, I have a different view of it though, right? Because it's part of my job. But it's refreshing to me to see the opinion of social media that my kids have and their approach. They're not consumed by it. I mean, they definitely look at it, but they're not big on the look at me, look at what I'm doing. Yeah, they've struck like the healthy balance between the good and the not so good about it. Yeah, it's funny because sometimes my, my eldest daughter will be talking about something that she saw and my wife will go, what, let me see. And my daughter will go, here's my phone. Do not like anything on accident. <laughs> Don't double tap anything. <laughs> like she's like a phantom, you know? Right. She's just the stalker that follows Not people. feeding the algorithm. Yeah. 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 Wow, all right. Well, so just to close out, any closing thoughts, anything you're looking forward to or anything that you want to share before we wrap up? Um, I don't know. I think on a, on a personal and professional level, it's like, it's been very interesting for me to see the way media has changed and the way social media has changed life, right? It's kind of discouraging sometimes, right? You're like, oh God, look at, the, look at the demise of society or something, you know? But I don't know, there's positives to it. Like, like I said, you can keep track of family and friends and stuff, but... Uh, I just think everybody needs to find that right balance and uh, be smart and don't get addicted. Right. Sweet. Thank you, Don. Yeah. 
So there you have it, Don Maeda. Thank you so much for listening. I didn't mention this in the beginning, but we were sitting down in the shop of Jeremy McGrath, which was really cool because it was just filled with all of these vehicles and bikes that Jeremy owns or works on. And they had a little makeshift, uh, well, not makeshift, but they had a, a studio set up for a interview just like what we did so make sure you check out the video that was posted two days ago it's in my feed eyes up ride on instagram and on maxis tires youtube so check it out and if you liked this podcast subscribe we still have plenty more episodes to come and leave a review just give it five stars it doesn't matter but if you liked it i'd love to hear from you if you didn't then send me some feedback because we're all improving constantly and have room for growth and i just love hearing from the people who have helped make this possible so thank you so much for listening to wrap up the month of june in two weeks we will have dustin jones professional utv racer on the show dustin jones is from louisiana a new state for ben when i went to interview him so again, thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Don Maeda, and we will see you or hear from you. I will hear you from me by talking to you in two weeks. Thanks again. Bye-bye.